0: This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Royal Blue Podcast. Uh, I'm joined by uh, Gab Buckland and our Echo um, Everton correspondent, Joe uh, Thomas, as we look back on um, Everton's um, game at Villa Park at the weekend. Joe and myself are both down there in Birmingham. Unfortunately, it was another defeat. For the Blues as they succumbed uh, 2-1 uh, to Stephen Gerrard's side. Uh, very disappointing. How, uh, that one worked out. But, of course, when there's, there's plenty to talk as well about Anthony Gordon, but we'll come all to that in in good time. If I, if I come to you first, uh, Joe? I mean, we were down there at Villa Park at the weekend. Um, didn't do um, particularly much wrong, but it's, it's two games and two defeats now.
0: It is. It is. I think... Yeah, when you look at, back at those two games, you can you can see that Evan aren't quite far off where Lampard probably wants them to be. Yeah, they're, they're competitive, they're relatively resilient, they're clearly solid at the back, but clearly they're still lacking a few players, I think, that could be the difference between them kind of being competitive in games and being good enough to take points away from them similar story to Chelsea on, on, on Saturday, really, where, for the most part, Everton didn't concede too many chances. But on the other hand, they didn't really look like scoring either. They got to a couple of decent positions. And really, I think that, you know, had it been, say, Dominic Calvert-Lewin in the position that Damari De- De- Gray found himself in in the first half when the ball dropped to him from Alex Wobies cross, I think that would have been a goal and then one or two other moments where just the build-up play was just lacking that little bit of quality. I think you, know, you saw Dwight McNeil try to play Damari Gray through on goal and just over hit the pass. You just think maybe if that was Alex Awobi making that pass, it might have put Gray through one-on-one, or perhaps McNeil came a little bit more confidence or a little bit more you know, three or four more games into the season. So, you know, obviously I, I think that you, you don't want to start a season slowly, and Evan clearly started the season slowly, and yeah, there's clearly a lot of work to do on the training ground, and I think in the transfer market as as well. Um, but I'm going to say they aren't a million miles away from where I think Lampard wants them to be. But obviously, sooner or later, they're going to have to start turning you know six out of ten performances into seven and a half, eight out of ten performances, and, and get some points on the board.
1: Yeah. Um... Gavin, mean, what was your take um, from the weekend? Was there much encouragement you, you could take from that, given that it is two defeats from two now?
2: Uh, yeah, in that, uh, I think, Joe Sainz writers, I'm pretty content with the, the resilience that they've shown. and Barnards have been, been organised at the back. There's obviously, you know, a system there of, of playing, whether you, you, you like it or not. So, we're obviously appear to be better trained, better coached with more, more of an idea of how we wanted to play this season, than what we were last season. So they're the positives. I think the negatives for me, I, I think, go back to Friday, and I think there's been an ongoing discussion about whether who we should play a centre forward, yeah. said on Friday, I expected Rondon to play disappointed that he didn't and I didn't see anything during the game to, to, to prove that I was wrong and I just thought a little niggly bit really was a bad goal wasn't it the first goal to concede I yeah. thought so defensively we were we were pretty sound like we were against Chelsea can't think of many saves that Jordan's had to make across the two games yeah but We have this thing where we play three at the back and if one of the four-backs pushes forward, then Holgate goes as a sort of auxiliary right midfielder. Mm. And on Saturday he did that. And that leaves you just two centre-halves at the back and both four-backs have gone forward. And you're lying on your midfield man then to sort of drop back a bit. And Takore didn't. so Consequently, when the ball gets cleared, there's a hell of a lot of space. In our half, isn't it? That two centre halves we got covered and we got to cover. we already a man down anyway because Holgate's gone support on the right hand side. And we, we conceded a goal there that we should never have conceded. And mm. that, at a time when it was nil nil, it was uh, it was a really disappointing goal goal for me. The, the, the other positive I'm sure we'll talk about is Anana. Yeah. Who, yeah. who, 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 who look, already looks box office on the basis of yeah. eight or nine minutes. I yeah, think we, I get the impression that we might be talking about him a lot during the course of the season on this podcast.
1: Yeah, yeah. a mixed but lively cameo from from the, from the debutant um, Joe. Um, I think when we discussed this before the game, um, as as Gav has already mentioned, there uh, we expected Salomon Rondon to start, the only fit sort of recognised striker at the club. I imagine Steven Gerrard expects him to start. The fact that he brought Tyrone Mings in, into the side, I mean, what? Was that, was that a mistake in, 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 in retrospect, looking back? I mean, should they have gone with the recognised centre-forward?
0: We don't know what's going on at Finch Farm yeah. day in, day out. We don't see what Frank Lampard is coaching, Stacy. Obviously, Rondon has had a full pre-season but missed the game against Brentford because of suspension. I think Lampard alluded to the fact that he might not have been quite fully up to match speed when he played on... On, well, when he was chosen, selected for the bench on on Saturday, but really, I I would have wanted him to start, especially having watched um, Aston Villa against Bournemouth on the first game of the season. Yeah, they really struggled to deal with with Kiefer Moore, who's the target man up front for for Bournemouth, and I think that when you watch. Aston Villa at the weekend, I think they would have really struggled to deal with a target man again throughout most of that match. You saw Rondon caused a bit of chaos when he came on for you know the, the end of the second half. He, he has a tendency to do that and just cause carnage and the, the players around him have the potential to then pick up on loose balls and he draws players out of position. I can understand how Lampard might think that he can't do that for a full 90 minutes. He probably can't. But I think for myself, I probably would have preferred to have started Rondon and got the hour out of him and saw where that took Everton rather than bring him on for the last half an hour and Everton were chasing the game. When we saw what happened, how it unfolded at Villa Park, you know, Villa still Villa was poor at dealing with crosses into their box. Damari Gray ended up with a glorious opportunity from across in the in the box that villa can defend properly a number of Everton's corners caused real concern to Aston villa and and were perhaps a little bit unlucky not to have converted from from any of those i think if you'd have thrown rondon into the mix then i think that would have only increased the amount of problems that villa would have had defending those type of balls plus you know i think it would have given their center back something else to to deal with because you know, we've seen him do it for a second game in a row now. But you, know, Anthony Gordon, I don't think is is quite adept to you know, playing the false nine. I thought we we saw some glimpses of good play from Anthony Gordon uh, at, at at the weekend, but we very much saw where his and his strengths line when he's got the ball at his feet and he's running at defenders rather than when he's trying to compete with centre-backs either on the ground or, or in the air. You know, we saw it. You know there was, a, there was a burst in the first half where he took it past two players before being fouled on the edge of the Villa area, and he, he looked really good then. I really thought he should have had a free kick when he was brought down by Tyrone Mings's outstretched arm in, in the first half as well, and that was from picking up the ball relatively deep and charging past him. You know, it looked like he was going to win that foot race. There was definitely contact. You know, that looked like a, a foul to me. So, all in all, I... I think that not only would it have increased Everton's potential potency from set pieces, Aston Villa clearly struggled to defend anyway. I think it probably would have helped the balance of the rest of the side because there'd be more players playing in the positions that they're most adept at. You know, I think if Gordon was playing off Rondon or wide of Rondon with, with Gray on the other side or McNeil on the other side, I think that might have been a, a better, a better option for Everton.
1: Yeah. I mean, Gav, as Joe has just alluded to, it's kind of like a, a double whammy, really. That no matter what you think Rondon offers or doesn't offer, the fact that when he's not on the side, if you're playing Gordon as a false number nine, you're not playing Gordon perhaps in um, a yeah. position which best utilizes his strengths. Well,
2: and, and also is a position that he doesn't play normally. Completely yeah. yeah. different game. Centre half, uh, centre forward. Yeah. No, centre half is a different game as well. Yeah. Centre forward <laughs> to. Uh, maybe you play there perhaps next week. Um, yeah, so you're receiving the ball with the back. You're back to goal, and you've you've got like a 360 degree vision. You've got to have all that type of stuff. But if you play not wide, it's a, it's a completely different game. So uh, Brian Clough used to say, uh, and he knew a thing about management that the, the the biggest sin as a football manager can do is to give a job to a player who hasn't got the tools to carry out the, the role. And, and I think that's the case with, with Gordon. Uh, and I'm not I'm not blaming Frank with that, by the way, because he's, he's got limited options at the moment. So mm-hmm. I think we need to remember that. And also regarding the on selection, I always think that if there's a 50 50 shout and you don't know what you're going to do, Marzo, do the de- make the decision that your opposing manager least likely, you know, least likes you, you to do. And in this mm-hmm. case, the thing is is the ones you had, had that would have been, this least like the option would have been to have, have Rondon up front, wouldn't it? Yeah. You know, that, that's what that's the one scenario uh, he wouldn't have wanted compared to, if you'd looked on the team sheet on Saturday, it would have seen like, you know, same as last week against Chelsea, so we thought, yeah, I'll have that. You know, yeah. Rondon, would have, he, he wouldn't have wanted the Rondon option. And I mm-hmm. think Frank should have brought that in mind, I think. As you say, he'd obviously prepared for that in the way they set up the team. Yeah. So I think those are the two things I'd say about about the selection on on Saturday that I felt felt it was wrong. And I, I I think I'd take Joe's points. I think sixty minutes, fifty, sixty minutes would have been would have been fine. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
1: And um and another big um selection call. I mean as as expected, Joe, that Conor uh, Connor Cody came in for his debut. I mean, he's hardly ever missed a game for the Wolverhampton Wanderers, so it was probably no um, surprise to see him um, go go straight into
0: that side. Well, no, especially with the, the loss of Vieri Mien and Ben Godfrey, you know, the week before, obviously, we saw that Everton's interest in Connor Cody picked up even before those injuries. Yeah. So bearing in mind that there are other areas which were probably more of a priority to strengthen, the fact that they were looking to bring Cody to the club even before two of their starting centre-backs before his arrival, uh, became injured. Probably suggested that he was going to come straight into the first team and clearly be a part of those plans. And that's that's what he did. And he, he looked decent. You know, I think you know he looked steady. You know, he probably looked a little bit rusty because his preseason or his preparation for the game would have understandably have been hit by the fact that you know he was involved in a, in, in a transfer move, will be a lone one, and clearly the fact that he's, he's playing you know alongside new teammates and and also behind a centre midfield, which I think even Lampard, as admitted is a, is a very much a, a makeshift centre midfield pairing of Alex Wobey and Abdullah Decory. I don't think they've done a bad job there, but yeah, there are a lot of mitigating. There are a lot of factors outside Conor Cody's control that make his job harder when he has to come in straight away to start against Aston Villa. But yeah, I thought he did a decent job and... You know, I think probably like a lot of people, my heart was in my mouth when he went down. And thought he's played 196 of the last 198 games, and all of a sudden he's receiving treatment on the pitch in his first game for, for Everton. It really did feel like a a centre back curse. But um, you know he took a bang to the head, and I think you know probably because of a, a disrupted preparation, suffered a little bit of cramp uh, when he when he did come off. But I asked Frank Lampard after the game whether there's any issue with him, and he was he was adamant there was there was none. There was no problem. Which
1: yeah. is obviously a positive sign. Yeah, and Gav, from from Cody, who's you know a se- a seasoned pre- Premier League player, to uh, Nathan Patterson, who really had to wait a long time to get to get his, his big chance at Everton. I mean, he's an encouraging start to season, considering that you know Sheamus Coleman has made that position his own for so
2: long. Yeah, yeah, he looks um, he looks a real promising player, doesn't he? And I know. Was mentioned in comments. He may not have heard it, that all other big clubs are already looking at him. <laughs> yeah, selling um, them on already. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, and, and he's he's had two good games, which is quite surprising because there was talk at the end of last season. he played the good game that maybe Frank wasn't enamoured with him the way he played. And you're thinking, you know, is, is it going to work out for him? But he's looked excellent in in both matches. And I think Joe, you picked up on the point where he turned Dean inside mm-hmm. out in the on on you know in the, by the opposition penalty box in, in in the second half, I think, yeah, he, he's looked excellent. He's looked solid, and um, yeah, and he's looking good value for, you know, for his transfer fee at the moment. And being young, you know, he's obviously got. I don't want to talk about selling him now, yeah. but it's obviously a good invest. It's a good investment, isn't it? From what you have seen mm-hmm. so far, the money we paid, and his performance he put in the open two games, is he looks a good investment, and um, I think. Coleman, it helps Coleman because it doesn't mean that we, Coleman's got to play every week, does it? Now, so just yeah. really bring Coleman in as he sees fit. And if, if Patterson carries on as he's done, then I don't think Seamus is going to get many games this season, which is a uh, good news for everyone. I think maybe yeah. not Seamus, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. excellent. Yeah.
1: yeah, well, I think yeah, like you say, Gav. I mean, um, Seamus hasn't been helped by the club in that respect, and it could it could be quality rather than quantity for him going forward now but um joe um we've mentioned already um the the midfield situation there and it's not it's not ideal and then what's certainly not ideal is yet another injury abdellai dikory um didn't look good the way that that chance went in uh, danny ings and but mitigating certain chances for him he was probably hurt before that actually happened but yet again you know it's another injury and it's another concern for frank lampard in, in an area he just doesn't want it to, to have
0: another headache yeah, he's such a dynamic player and obviously he is box to box, does a lot of running and I think you know, we could all see that he looks quite laboured when he was trying to chase trap back for, for Aston Villa's first goal and you know, it was only a couple of moments later that, that he came off so I, my reading of that was he probably yeah. picked up the hamstring issue that led to him coming off prior to, to, to the goal and I think really he was, with the exception of, of, of Jean-Philippe Gabamin, who is not injured, but did not make the squad. I think at the time, Decore was probably the only fifth recognised first-team central midfielder that Frank Lampard had available to him. He's already playing him alongside Alex Wobi, who is so versatile that I don't think anyone could ever call him, ever suggest that he'd been playing out of position. Hmm. Um, and he's doing a great job in, in centre midfield as well. But clearly hmm. that that's not the position that he has the most experience in. Um but, you know, you look at, look at everyone else, like Tom Davis obviously came on for him, but he's only just coming back from a calf injury. So he hit, he'd only had a couple of days training. And Anna, his fitness and his preseason season was uh, disrupted by the move to, to Everton, which ended up taking a little bit longer than it probably should have done. So there was a, a period of a couple of days around last weekend where we know he was on Merseyside because we saw him at the, the Chelsea game. But because the paperwork hadn't been done, he technically couldn't train with Everton. So his fitness was, you know, isn't quite top level, um, which is why he only came on so late. Alan picked up a knock just before the game. He picked up on Friday. Andre Gomez is still suffering from an injury that he had, uh, that he picked up when the club were in America on the pre-season tour. So, you know, when you look at where we are at the beginning of the season, I mean, when you look at one of the things that was the biggest problem of last season was injuries and Everton have started this fresh campaign and they are already decimated by injuries. You look at Dominic Calvert-Lewin is probably the most severe one because everyone have no other real options up top with the exception of, of Salmon Rondon. But then you go through the heart of the team and you look at all those I just mentioned in centre midfield, and that situation could have been exacerbated now if Decorey's injury keeps him out for any length of time. And then obviously we know the situation at centre-back where Godfrey and, and Mina are both out for, you know, for for a couple of months at the very least. And, and Seamus Coleman, who... I think he's probably more likely to feature when he does play as one of the free center centre-backs as opposed to the right wing-back. You know, Just going back to Nathan Patterson conversation. Yeah. But he's only just coming back to fitness as well. So, you know, you really do look at it. I mean, Lampard wants his side to become far more robust over the summer. And he's achieved that to a certain extent, but he still has a long way to go because injuries are still clearly having a problem and we're only two games into this campaign. Yeah. Gav, does does it come to a point where you you can't just keep being unlucky
1: with these injuries? Could there be some sort of underlying factor beyond all of this, just the the way they're setting up? I know Dominic Calvert-Lewin got injured on the eve of the season and Frank described it as a freak injury. I mean, just and we joked there about Connor Cody, but just how
2: many injuries can you have before it becomes like more than unfortunate? I think this was one of the things the club was looking at, weren't they, over 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 the summer and yeah and frank came in about the amount of injuries and the, the rehabilitation um of players and the length of time yeah i think so i think what other what also comes into it is the age of age of players doesn't it you have know, mentioned yeah. players being injured there okay dcl 25 but as frank said um a you know a freak injury but the core is what 29 30 Alan's out injured, he was 30-31. As I mentioned, Seamus, 33-34. 30, if you've got, if you got pl- players in a, an ageing squad, they're just going to get injured, aren't they? It, it's not, It's not. And their rehabilitation is going to be longer. So I think that comes into it, but I don't think that's the overall explanation because, as you say, Tom Davis is relatively young and he's had an injury and yeah, you know, out for the end of most last season, the second half of it, perhaps or maybe we just have been unlucky. I mean, this has been a long-standing thing, hasn't it? Though that goes back. Yeah. It's not necessarily saying of oh, Frank's messed it up. It, it goes back to you know even in Ancelotti's time, yeah, probably and before that. Uh, I, I don't know, Chris. I, no. I don't know. I'm not, but I do think yeah. the age of the squad definitely comes into it. That the players who have recurring injuries now tend to be the older all the players in the team
1: yeah well hopefully Joe, on the on the flip side of that there's nothing about amadou anana young lad not not only not even turning 21 until later th- this week um it was an eventful cameo from him he, he 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 finally got on and he sort of made it um his his mark At both ends of the the pitch, but I mean, obviously, it was unfortunate what happened to him with with Villa's second goal. But then, you know, all you can do after making a mistake like that is go down the other end and then set one up or score one yourself, which he did with that assist.
0: Yeah, I thought it was all positive, to be honest. For for the man, I I know that, you know, he he was dispossessed on the halfway line for the second goal, but. You know, Lampard alluded to this in his post-match comments, where the reason he lost the ball was because he was looking to be positive with it. And one thing Everton are really missing at the minute is somebody in the middle of the park who can, you know, take the ball facing their own goal, turn and try and do something positive with it. That's what he was trying to do. Okay, mm. it didn't quite work out for him. And you know, you can understand why it might have felt a cruel introduction to the Premier League for him to to then see them go out, uh, the opposition go off and score f- from from that position. But obviously, a lot of things had to happen before, you know, between Anana losing possession and, you know, Emi Bwindi scoring that goal. Um, but the fact that he was in that position in the first place and looking to be positive, I thought was a good sign. And I thought it was an even better sign that at a time when, you know, such a young lad on his first team debut, he, he could easily have wanted the ground to swallow him up. And instead, what he did was, first opportunity after the goal, he's there showing for the ball again. And this time he's doing what he's probably been brought in to do. And, you know, he made a positive run, he drove forward. Villa just couldn't stop him. He got to the byline, showed the skill to turn Diego Carlos and, and put the ball in that ended up going into the back of the net. So I thought it was it was a really promising show and not just on a, you know, a physical level because you could see the, the talent that he clearly has but also on a psychological level because you know to have the strength of character and the courage to come away from a moment like Aston Villa's second goal to then go and do that for the goal got Everson back into the game you know, I, I thought that was really, really encouraging. The Royal Blue
2: Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
1: And Gav, I suppose that's why they've paid um, the big money for him. He does offer something different, a new dimension to, to the play. I mean, obviously, his stature too. He's almost like a, a youthful Gavin Buckland there with the...
2: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the high he possesses,
1: but... Uh, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's a new it's a new element to New Everton's uh, style of play. That you yeah,
2: games. I the only thing we've got in common is I regularly give away goals, so um, <laughs> I know that feeling all too well over the last few weeks. Yeah, I mean the, the few things we learnt on on Saturday from where a I say I think he's box office, isn't he? Yeah, it's got it's got something about him. Um, B I think I, I get Joe's point what he's saying about giving the goal away. I didn't think it was the best ball into him actually because he was he had three other players on him, wasn't he? Yeah. So as soon as he got it, he was sort of he had three players on him straight away. Uh, see, I don't think he's at a, a number six, is he? No. From what you've seen on on Saturday, he, he's 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 going to be more of an offence, you know. And they said about, I mean, he's an attacking midfielder. It looks like somebody can hurt the opposition in their box, in, mm-hmm. in in their own box. So I think we 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 learned that from him and 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 D. He's obviously got character and personality. And I said on Friday that we all know the club's financial position. We don't need to go into it. For them to spend what money they've got and spend thirty odd million quid on on the players improving the Premier League, and there's not yet twenty one, they've shown a hell of a lot of faith in his his ability and his potential. Mm. And you saw some of that on on Saturday. And I, I don't. I mean, I can't speak for anybody else. I, I didn't come away from Saturday's game watching it and thinking, "Wow, we've wasted that money on the basis no. of." i a very small sample of what ten minutes or whatever he was on the pitch. Mm-hmm. You're looking at him and thinking, "Yeah, I think he, he could. He's a right prospect, this lad, and could give us something we've not had for a while." And it's a bit like Fellaini, really. Yeah, and he's more mobile than Fellaini, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um when we got Fellaini, we thought Fellaini was going to be a deep line number six, didn't didn't we? Where actually, turned out to be effectively a striker, yeah, uh, second striker, didn't he? And Onana, I think, has potential, you know, to 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 be like that, but he's far more. He's obviously got more pace, I think, than than Fellaini, who on the face of it looks like maybe a little bit more technically, more gifted, maybe. Mm-hmm. Where Nani's more pace and power, and and he saw that on 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 Saturday, and and I think I'm quite excited, yeah, watching play, and hopefully we'll talk about Saturday's game on Friday. I look forward to seeing more of him in the blue shirts. I think he, as I say, he's going to be entertaining to watch this year, and and I think the 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 tack, you know, the the dribbling, past, that's something to be coached, can't it? Yeah, you know, you just you just coach to learn when when to do it and when not to do it. So I'm not particularly too. You know, worried about that on Saturday. I think he'll he'll learn quickly about how to, you know, when to release the ball and when to run with it. So yeah, that was all good, all positive, as 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 Joe said. Yeah, and Joe uh, moving on for another youngster. I mean, he's only just 21
1: himself earlier this year. Anthony Gordon. I mean, we're picking the bones out of um, Saturday's game, and then it quickly moved on to this supposed. Interest from Chelsea. It's something you've you've been covering this, this last uh, day or so. I mean, just where
0: are we up to and what, what are your thoughts on, on the whole um, situation? Yeah, try, try my best to cover. Yeah. Um, like with anything like this, with every transfer or transfer room, they're inherently messy with lots of different people saying lots of different things. Uh, I think the, the interest from Chelsea is genuine. Mm-hmm. Um, whether or not they've made a bid or not is slightly in question. Some people report they have, some, including myself, reporting uh, the, not necessarily my words, but the, the words from inside the club that an official bid has not yet been made. It oh. hadn't been made as of Monday morning when when I wrote that story. And now, when I just after after Monday lunchtime, um, keyword being official. There, I think there's probably a grey area between whether or not there might have been some inquiries or you know, some sort of. You know, verbal conversations between them or informal conversations, just testing the water out. Uh, because obviously, there's there are rumors that, um, that the rumors that Chelsea are seeking for around 40 million and that might go up after Everton being quite categoric and saying that they're not interested in entertaining bids for him at the moment. Obviously, I think we're in for a really interesting couple of weeks to be honest, because or certainly a couple of days, because if Chelsea's interest is genuine, we know that they've got. We know that they've got the money to probably get to a point where Everton have to really consider it. So if they want the player, as we've seen with Koulibaly and Sterling and Cucurella and probably a couple of other players between now and the end of the transfer window, you know, if, if Chelsea are sustained in their pursuit of Anthony Gordon, then it could become a really difficult one for Everton to, to deal with. You know, there are a number of lingering issues probably including you know, the financial profit and sustainability rules and where Everton fall within that. Not saying that they would have to sell him or anything like that, but obviously being able to bring a huge sum of money and will only help their situation. And I think these weren't lessons that we learned on Saturday because I think everybody watching in the club already knew But Everton need a striker. They need a striker yeah. and they probably need another central midfielder as well because as promising as Amadou Nana is, Evan is still short in that position. And one of the worst things Evan could do is end up putting too much pressure on Onana in the same way that they're in danger of press, putting too much pressure on, on another youngster, Andy Gordon, um, by not recruiting well enough to find the players that can support them and help them to carry on developing in the game as, as, as they are doing. So I think we're in for an interesting one, to be honest, on this. Um, you know, Chelsea are pursuing a number of forward options. Obviously, they're looking at Abamayang. Complete different player of course to, um, to Andy Gordon but it's, it looks very clear that Chelsea's business in this window isn't done and regardless as to you know technicalities as to whether an official bid has been submitted by the time that we're talking if Chelsea if Chelsea honing on the fact that they believe that Gordon is someone that can take their club forward then they have enough money to probably keep going until Everton's, we're not interested in entertaining any bids, cuts to a point where they have to, if not have a conversation that they want to have, have a conversation that they need to have. So I think it's very much going to be a case of, of, of watch this space, uh, but it's going to be a difficult one for Everton to deal with. If if they reach a, if they start putting in bids where the valuation comes close to what Everton put them at.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, Joe's mentioned, uh, you know, it, it could become a difficult one. Frank Lampard has, has been quite categorically um, gone on record earlier this summer, spoke about Anthony Gordon while on the preseason tour of the USA, and he he said he's going nowhere. So that that, that does make it difficult um, if this uh, situation changes.
2: Going nowhere at the moment. Yeah, um, that can change quite quickly, though. They're happy for so. Yeah. I've had a quid every time. I'm not talking about this sign and by it. a manager said he's going nowhere, yeah. And like a week later, he <laughs> moves on, gets transferred out. You know, I'd be I'd be rich. Um, yeah, interesting on this, I said the other week that he should stay, but that's on the basis of a certain transfer fee. Mm-hmm. That's a I, fee I, 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 I mean I'm just thinking here what did Richardson go for in the end 50 Is
1: it 50, it package 50 odd rise into 60 yeah. I think officially yeah. so
2: some of the numbers Anthony Gordon has been quoted that needs to be seen in that contest if you compare him and Richardson, I know Richardson's contact comes into it and all that type of stuff um, yeah an in interesting one Being would to think of I suppose this throws up the question is just generally speaking, who signs off or not whether to at least enter the discussion with Chelsea about selling? Is it Telwell or Lampard or both? Do they both have to be on the same page? I think this throws up the question because Frank might say, oh, it's not for sale. Telwell, who's the director of football, might think, well, I ain't got a minute. Let's have a discussion here. I'm just thinking aloud here. Yeah. But the owner yeah. may have a decision yeah, to make. The the owner right? yeah. yeah. So I mean, the and there's, there's there's the financial considerations of the club, and as an academy player, of course, it's all all profit. So it's an interesting one. In that, I don't think Frank saying he's not for sale is necessarily something that is set in stone. And they may, they may come a point where they find att- that the, the offer is attractive enough to say, well, actually, this could be really useful money for us to use elsewhere within the team. As, as Joe was saying, we want send something elsewhere. And um, I, I wouldn't rule it out at this stage, but it'd have to be a fee that the club find attractive enough to, to sell. And also what, let's throw in, what does a Gordon want yeah. in this? I mean, we've not got a great. Everton have not got a great track record of selling players to bigger clubs, and they're working out for that player. Have they? Mm. Going back to Flanny Jeffers twenty odd years ago. Yeah. You know, the only player who's really excelled is probably B. Wayne. And Wayne was always going to do that, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah. You know, Rodwell, Barkley, Jeffers—real, you know, academy prospects who were sold because they had potential and could move move forward, it doesn't work for them. And um, that was if you're Anthony Gordon, you'd probably have that in the back of your mind as well. Yeah. I don't know where stones is John on stones is slightly different maybe. Um, yeah. But yeah, so we haven't got a, academy graduates have not a great track record of moving on and for bigger and better things at a top club. And Anthony will well, well, worth and bear in that in mind. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
1: I mean Joe, it's an interesting point Gav makes there about the about the, the homegrown um products because I think there is a, a big degree of, of emotion which goes with this. Uh twofold really, like the fact that they've already sold Richarlison this summer, so it might have been different if, if he hadn't been sold, of course. But also, in fact, you know he is a local lad and he's only been in the side for for, for one year. So just sort of the sort of message that it sends out. Were Everton to, uh, to to cash in on one of the the their
0: homegrown lads? It doesn't send out a positive message. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Everton are in a position where really they need to be strengthening going forward rather than than losing players. So I think that even if if they end if they end up in a position where Andy Gordon is sold, it will only ever be a pragmatic solution to where they are at the moment. I think they'll be influenced by the fact that you know, they perhaps would not be able to turn down a huge sum of money, and obviously they need to find players that can boost Frank Lampard's options in a couple of places on the pitch. You know nobody wants to sell their their young you know, their young stars whilst they're still developing. So I think I think the message wouldn't look very good, particularly coming so close off the back of the sale of Richarlison. Really, if you would say that Everton have two talisman in their team, two players on the pitch that were capable of, of getting the Goodison Park crowd behind them, um, you know, whipping up support for the rest of the team with, with you know with a moment of play. You just said it was Richardson. You said it was Anthony Gordon. We've already lost um, already lost Richardson, and they did so for a couple of reasons one, financial, and and two, probably because they got to the point where they couldn't give the player what he wanted because he probably wanted European football, yeah. uh, and, and the club haven't been able to deliver that that to him. So, you know, I, I don't think that there's ever a scenario this where if Gordon leaves this summer, it's a, good, it's a move that looks good for Everton. Um, the question that may well end up having to be asked is whether or not they feel they can take more steps forward by selling him than by keeping him. And, you know, if they get a significant sum of money, how much will that help them with profit and sustainability? And how much will that help them rebuild the squad for a squad that, because at the moment, Anthony Gordon looks very good, but it's very much a case of potential. You know, I think Chelsea would be buying his his potential. At the moment, Everton need players that can do a job now. Um, Anthony Gordon can do that but they need a centre midfielder they need a striker um, you know they do have other attacking midfielders if they got a significant sum of money for him that would that enable them to strengthen the you know create a more a stronger more well-rounded squad possibly if you know Chelsea have a couple of players that Everton have been interested in all summer Conor Gallagher Amanda Broja two of the main ones you know, we saw with Cucarella going to Brighton at Levi Colwell, another player who's once mentioned as um, potentially heading to Everton this summer. He he's gone that way on loan. So could you see a scenario where one of those comes on loan as well um, as as part of a deal? That then then maybe you know it's, it's it won't be a good look for Everton, but there are ways in which it might not be a bad deal for Everton. And I think Everton, I think a lot of Everton fans would understand that that's probably the problem that Everton will have is if Chelsea, if, if Anthony Gordon, if, if the interest is persistent, Anthony Gordon wants to go and the numbers of money in the numbers become significant, then Everton will probably end up having to, to balance a number of issues there. And it could, it could go either way, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, it 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 really could. I think in terms of who would sign off on things like that, probably comes down to whether Everton need to do it for financial reasons. I think, I think I don't see a scenario where Frank Lampard and Kevin Fowler who get on really well. um, I don't see a scenario in which they're not joined joined up on this. I think they would have to come to an agreement, Um, and for football reasons. You know, at this present moment in time, you'd think, well, they'd probably prefer to keep hold of him unless, let's say, the money or the deal became so substantial that they could really reshape the squad, which still needs strengthening. If, and it's very grey, really, to be honest, where I stand on profit and sustainability, um, other than the fact that the Premier League seem comfortable with where they are at the moment. But if the financial issues come into it, then obviously I think probably with what happened with Charleston, was just, I think it becomes... A decision
1: that the
0: board had more of an influence in as as well. Yeah, Gav, at, at what point does it
1: become an offer which is, is is too good to refuse? Because I mean, the club probably they they, they wanted they valued Rush Allison at more than what they they had to they ended up getting for him. But um, like i said there was a certain degree that, that that deal needed to to be done to get the wheels in motion for squad rebuilding. Um, that's not necessarily the, the case here, although obviously there's a couple of areas mm. they do need to, to to bring in. I mean, when you consider um, Chelsea just paid £62 million for a left-back. So, I mean, that sort of shows you the sort of numbers that are involved um, these days. I mean, it, it's probably going to have to be a, a substantial amount of money to, to sort of force Everton's hand, you would imagine.
2: Yeah. I mean, one the other thing I'd say about Gordon, before I answer the question, Chris, it's like... Yeah. As supporters, and as a group, you always say, oh, we other clubs sell their academy prospects and graduates for big money, but we never do that. You know, we don't have, but when we do choose to, you know, sell one, or oh, I can't sell them, they're, they're one of our own. You know, you can't do that. You know, mm-hmm. so there's, there's a, there is a balance there. Uh, in t- so I think, you know, we shouldn't let that stop us that we can't sell an academy prospect because they're part of the the, the fixes and fittings of the club um they are good you know academy products are good for sales aren't they you know mm-hmm. for, for, for clubs are progression Chelsea are a classic example of that obviously um in answer to your question if you're putting the value on them I think if it went above 40 million I think you'd have to look at it if you're selling okay. a child from 52 plus add-ons I think that and that, that's a gamble. It's a gamble for both clubs then, isn't it? It's a gamble for us. Actually, we've undervalued him, and the end becomes one of the England's top players, but it's mm-hmm. also a gamble for Chelsea, isn't it? Because they're paying 40, 45 million on potential, bit, bit like us with another, I suppose. So it's a gamble for both clubs. And I think, um, if it went above 40, I think you'd be, you'd be saying, well, we need to think about this. Certainly as, as Joe was saying at, you know, at board level, for the player who's had a, a season or so in 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 the Premier League, I think that's, uh, that's the that's the sort of figures I'd be looking at uh, bringing Chelsea to the table.
1: Yeah, well, I'm sure it's going to be a very interesting time for for a few days at, at Everton as as always, and of a um, see incomings as well potentially. Um, not just this week, but obviously the week after as we approach the the transfer deadline. Could be a busy time at, um, at some part, But before that, obviously, there's the uh, home game against Nottingham Forest uh, on Saturday. So we'll be looking forward to that. When We'll be joining you uh, at the back end of the week and we'll look forward to that. And who knows, there may be some personnel changes within the Everton squad, either incomings or outgoings by then. So this has been the Royal Blue Podcast. I've been your host, Chris Beasley. I've been joined by Gavin Buckland and our Everton correspondent, Joe Thomas.
2: You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.